Welcome to NREI's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at nreionline.com. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. David has brought on a fantastic guest today, so I'm just going to hand everything over to him. David, go for it. So today we've brought on Chris Caton, who is the Senior Vice President of Global Strategy and Analytics at uh, Prologis. Uh, hi, Chris. Hi, David. How are you today? I'm doing well. Um, here, um, I remain hunkered down in in Brooklyn, New York, and I think going on day ninety something of of remote work. And it looks like we're going to be. Uh, we just actually got confirmation that we're going to stay remote at least till September. So it's uh, it's kind of interesting here. I think you, you, you're based out in California. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I'm in Oakland, California. So kind of the analogous to uh, to Brooklyn. I'm in San Francisco's Brooklyn and Oakland, California. Uh, so I was wondering if you could just start real quick, just like telling us what it what your role is with Prologis. I know, I, mean, I think I think a lot of the listeners are are familiar with the company, but just about your role and then some of this research that that it just uh, maybe a quick overview of some of the research that you guys have been putting together. Yeah, happy to do it, and thanks for asking. So for those who aren't familiar, Prologis. Uh, is the world's largest owner, operator, developer of logistics real estate. Uh, we, we have nearly a billion square feet uh, globally. That's, that's roughly $125 billion in assets under management uh, spread across uh, more than 4,000 buildings and more than 5,000 customers. We're on four continents, 19 countries, the largest of which is the United States. We have more than 500 uh, million square feet uh, in, in the U.S., Look, I think the reason why we're talking today, I'm the global head of strategy and analytics at Prologis, and uh, effectively, my message to you would be scale matters. Uh, We are able to analyze our data, our industry's data, uh, to glean insights that that may not be observable for the smaller or mid-sized type companies. Uh, We have the scale where we can really start to see the forest for the trees. Yeah, so one of the things that I think is interesting and, and, you know, curious about is, as you mentioned, you're a global company which includes China. So you have been exposed to this from the very beginning in terms of like where this broke out first, where they had the first shutdowns. And then now we've seen this become a global phenomenon. Now they're in a, I imagine that part of the world from everything we see is in a different place where in terms of the, of the cycle of all this. So what, what are, what, as you take a look at what that's meant for the operations and like you're saying, what you can look at within your portfolio, what are some of the takeaways that, that you get from, you know, being in that position of, of seeing this from the beginning, seeing what it's like now and, and maybe what we can expect? Yeah, great question. Thanks. So uh, a couple things. First is I think we can look at the environment and feel like there are, you know, three phases. Uh, the first phase would be some sort of outbreak phase where activity slows materially. Uh, in, in a lot of geographies, you've had uh, lockdowns. Uh, that would be phase one. Phase two would be some sort of recovery phase. And then three, uh, phase three would be kind of the next normal, the new normal. And we're at varying points along uh, those phases. And so what do we learn in our various phases in um, different geographies? What did we learn? What did we learn as we look around the world? Well, first off, phase one uh, shows us that a lot of our customers are in essential industries. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a tremendous amount of resiliency uh, in terms of business activity across our customers. You know, food and beverage, 
consumer products, uh, health and uh, medical uh, materials. These are large categories for logistics real estate. And, you know, they became actually more active, not less active. And when we towed it up, we think um, a little bit more than 70% of, of customer industries are, have either flat, been flat or grown hmm. uh, in this environment, notwithstanding that we're in a recession, which means in aggregate business is shrinking uh, in a broader economic sense. So that'd be one key takeaway during the outbreak phase. Now, it seems to me, and I, I certainly hope, We've kind of put the out, the outbreak and the worsening phase behind us, and we're uh, weeks, if not months, into a recovery and a rebuilding. And I think the key takeaway is that, that things will take time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's not a V-shaped uh, style recovery, but activity uh, remains pretty good. Uh, so those would be a couple of the, the high-level takeaways. I think um, two business updates would be, one, uh, in aggregate, we've actually uh, seen more uh, proposals being written uh, and customers looking for space versus uh, versus not, which I think is surprising and consistent with what I'm sharing. And then the second is customers are, are staying in their space, retention rates are holding in. And so it's, there hasn't been an evaporation of customer activity. And so for, for that, that like the, the activity and for the customers that are you know, looking for space, how has their their business been affected by like a shift of where you've got you know people with so many people working at home? How has that affected logistics chain where you know things rather than being routed to like areas where everyone's working and and, and or you know spending half their time in an office and half their time at home to like now a situation where people are spending you know at least chunks of people are spending a large percentage of their times at home and therefore their business needs and all of their food needs and everything are now in one location rather than diversified. So how does that affect your customers and just the logistics chain? Yeah. Uh, so I think there's a couple ways to approach this. The first would just be which are the industries that are growing versus shrinking. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's tease that out a bit more. I said 70% were kind of outperforming the average, uh, which is a real positive in, in buttresses uh, activity. Uh, but in the details there, first off, uh, you got to talk about e-commerce. You can't talk about logistics real estate without talking about e-commerce, especially during the outbreak phase. Looking back in March and April, um, we saw a jump in e-commerce activity uh, on a month-to-month basis. Some of our uh, busiest months with e-commerce was back in March and April. Uh, so that's that's definitely uh, one of the trends. And then two is we certainly saw resiliency among those essential industries. So again, it's the food and beverage industries, it's the healthcare industries, consumer products, also actually the kind of building material uh, type companies, uh, construction company uh, type uh, type industries were also active. And then naturally, as you'd expect, a couple of categories uh, challenge. You know, we have uh, particularly in uh, Orlando and to a lesser extent uh, Las Vegas some. Uh, customers in the event space or the or the or the restaurant space that are uh, less active or particularly challenged. You know, the other angle I take on this, which which you're also asking, is the places people spend their times have changed, and in particular, I, I think we're seeing some kind of deurbanization trend. And so, something we've been talking about lately is, well, to what degree does a potential short-term or long-term move in, in urbanization have implications for supply chains? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and my answer to that is, first off, I don't have a strong view as to whether this is just a couple month or, or a year long phenomena. But for logistics real estate, I'm not sure I need to have a strong view. Uh, so let's take uh, the greater New York area where you're based. You know, it's a, roughly a, a 25 million person uh, metroplex. 
where Manhattan is probably call it two, two and a half million people. Uh, and so a complete uh, shocking amount of, of uh, de-urbanization might be 200,000, 300,000 people, maybe a bit more. That is a drop in the bucket of the overall greater New York uh, Metroplex. And I think if you were to ask our customers, how is your go-to-market strategy, how is your supply chain changing based on where a couple hundred thousand people live in the, in the broader 25 million? Uh, I don't think the answer would be in any way different. Because mm-hmm. uh, really what we're talking about is three location strategies for consumers, urban, suburban, and rural. And the urban to suburban uh, transition that we're talking about here really doesn't have too material an impact on logistics real estate location strategy. If, in fact, we're talking about rural, and I don't think we are, then we can have a different conversation. But no, I don't think there's much change whatsoever in, in terms of uh, location strategy. Because it's still talking... It's just people moving around within a broader MSA as opposed to vacating the MSA. Yeah, that's right. But also the importance, our business was never so precise as to matter to a single block or a single street. You know, you're dealing with drive times that are in the, you know, location strategies today are as precise as maybe 30 minute drive times. uh, And in a lot of cases, much longer than that, an hour or more. You know, a debate, for example, is, gosh, should I live in urban San Francisco versus suburban San Francisco, right? And there's quite a bit of San Francisco that's suburban. Or should I live in San Francisco versus Oakland? That's about a five-mile move. Or should I live in San Francisco versus, say, San Rafael? That's about a 10, 15-mile move. It's just not significant enough to make a material difference in, uh, in the location strategies. So is it fair to say then that we're not really then talking about, not really looking at something that would cause massive shifts in the logistics chain in terms of like certain markets benefiting or, or suffering because of like people repositioning, like the overall logistics chain in the, in the U S like the, the key markets that are the key logistics market markets should stay the same. Yeah. So I think there are, I think there are four trends playing out that we're talking about. Uh, some will matter, some won't. Uh, so we've just been discussing de-urbanization and, and I think it's totally debatable if it's a sustainable trend or a one-time trend where, where basically folks that were thinking about moving out in 2022 or 2021, and they've just fast forwarded that demand to this year. I don't think that makes a material impact on, on the markets or within markets where you want to locate. One area where we're, uh, where I do think there's going to be a lot of change is just the step function higher in, in e-commerce. I I'd argue it's, it's a, we've definitely fast forwarded three to five years of e-commerce demand into the space of a couple months here. And, a lot of our customers have fast forwarded their investment in their either their IT, their their marketing, or their supply chain, and beginning to get to their supply chain. U.S. e-commerce share is about twelve percent, and I, there aren't great numbers on it, but I could easily see that number being fifteen to twenty percent here in the second quarter. Uh, so, pretty material change there, and a lot of that, some of that, has been concentrated in the food, food and beverage industry, but it's it's really influencing all industries. And I do think for sure that's going to change um, supply chains. There's going to be continued emphasis on the major markets and emphasis in infill locations to accelerate that that speed to consumers. So that that's a trend we're seeing. The third category is inventory levels and the su- supply chain strategy is pivoting from just in time to just in case, which is to say they're tuning their supply chains uh, from efficiency to resiliency. 
And that'll generate demand all across supply chains. I don't really have a strong view as to the location strategy impacts there, but I think supply chains will need to get bigger as a result of that pivot from efficient to resilient. And then the fourth debate that folks are having is, as I think you may be alluding to, or maybe you didn't intend to, is um, you're also here, you're starting to hear occasionally about, hey, if we all can work from home and be remote, why live in expensive cities and and uh, in crowded cities? Why not move to more affordable locations? And I think that's also a point in time trend. Yeah, that that is kind of what I was getting at because I certainly have heard that. But like you at this point, it sort of just seems like anecdotal and not necessarily something that's been, you know, that we could see in any kind of big way in numbers. Well, and I think it really relates to, you know, why, why do people live in cities? Are they, are they there for work? Maybe a little bit, but I think they're there for culture and the life experience and the, and the quality of life that gets them. You know, I look, for example, in San Francisco uh, and the many people who do kind of a reverse commute southward. Uh, so it would be easier for them to, you know, live, you know, 20, 30 miles to the south or better yet, uh, 30 miles to the southeast uh, where it'd be more affordable. But they choose uh, to live in a city and work elsewhere uh, because uh, because of all the other benefits of city living. And so, look, yeah, we've we've got a period of time where the, the benefits of city living have been uh, put on pause, uh, but those will all come back. I'm, I'm sure of it. Yeah, just from like my own personal perspective, like you know, living in in Brooklyn, it's certainly been this gigantic adjustment of you know suddenly having so many of the things about New York not be available and I mean I haven't been on even on the subway in three months now (laughs) so we've like just been relegated to just walking you know wherever we can walk to and then even within that a lot of the you know places whether they're open or not are shut down but then it's just kind of made us look more forward to when all of those things come back it actually hasn't made us think about like well maybe we should you know move somewhere else (laughs) Yeah, you know, and just to backtrack on that third point of those four you made, this move from efficiency to resiliency. What does that actually mean? What in terms of just in time versus just in case? Does that mean like keeping larger inventories um, rather than trying to just project exactly how much demand you think you're going to have for something and get it out, you know, in and out so that you're minimizing what's what what you're having in stores? Or I mean, you've yeah, got it exactly, kind of, dude. Okay. You've got it exactly. So. There have been uh, multiple multiple examples in recent history where we've seen these disruptions and they've led to changes in supply chain strategy. Uh, you, to a couple examples on the U.S. West Coast, the ports have back now about 20 years and eight years ago, the ports have closed and caused some disruption in goods flying, tr- transiting from Asia to, uh, to the broader United States. Uh, also, um, about eight years ago in Japan, the Tohoku tsunami and earthquake uh, also caused disruption. And following all those um, following all those disruptions, we've seen uh, supply chains take take a more of a resilient approach. So, f- for all a lot of the last cycle, for example, in Japan. Uh, we saw supply chains getting built out to have multi multimodal approach. Business continuity was a priority for businesses. In, in essence, David, what, what's really happened 
is all the, the benefits from efficiency over the last decade and, you know, in any supply chain, all the cost savings were lost through stocked mm-hmm. outs and reven- missed revenue opportunities and disappointed customers in the space of mm-hmm. a few weeks. And so CEOs, CFOs are really beginning to think differently about their investment in supply chain and what it can do for them as a tool to generate revenue. Is there a net impact then on demand for space from moving from one of the from moving from the just in time to a just in case uh, model? Yeah, and yeah, and um, you asked the question earlier. You know, what's do you just kind of basically mean more? Inventories and yeah, my answer would be I, I could easily see there being five to ten percent more inventories carried in supply chains mm-hmm. uh, in res- to 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 allow this tuning towards resiliency. So we put a couple numbers out there in our research, which I, I think you're alluding to, uh, which is we think this five to ten percent could generate round numbers four hundred million square feet of demand. I think it'll play out over a couple of years. It's not like this year it'll be four hundred million square feet of demand. And the shift in e-commerce itself could also be about 150 million square feet of demand. Both trends will take out more than this year to play out. And for context, a normal year for demand in recent years in the industry has been 250 to 300 million square feet. Uh, and these are all U.S. numbers. Right. And so do, do markets have the capacity to um, build out that kind of space? Or, or is that going to create pressures for, for where to build some of this capacity? That's a good point. Yes and no. No, in the sense that at, we've seen throughout this the last decade, kind of last cycle, our customers were really raising the quality of real estate that they wanted mm-hmm. and increasingly preferring infill and last touch facilities, some of the most expensive real estate in our business. In that sense, that those facilities are very difficult to provision and you've seen uh, rents rise the fastest in that category. So part of the answer is no. Well, part of the answer is yes, which is there. There are. Uh, it's a, I think an issue of timing, uh, where there are there is room on the periphery of cities to provide new sites for development, and that's uh, some that's a business also Prologis is in. So I expect that to happen. I think the question would be a one of timing and one of cost. You know, the working with cities will uh, have to work through permitting and zoning and so forth, and that uh, often adds cost and. Uh, there'll be a new location sometimes. So you need to be thoughtful about your location strategy. And you really need to know the market uh, in terms of breaking your submarkets. So aside from the the things that I've asked about, are there any other kind of key um, points or highlights from the recent experience that you think would be valuable for folks to hear? We've asked a lot of good questions. I'm not sure I have too much uh, new to add to it. I think I think you've hit on a lot of it. So the key takeaways would be in this volatile period, we've seen uh, that a fair amount of our customers are pretty essential to the basic functioning of daily life in cities, and that a lot of our customers have outperformed the overall economic headlines. Uh, that being said, I think in the short term, uh, the fact that we're in a recession, and probably a pretty darn deep one, uh, that will have an effect on the marketplace, and that'll play out over a period of time, You know, likely this year, potentially next year. It all depends on the trajectory of the economy. And so while the timing is uncertain, I think as we transition from kind of today to the long term, these trends we've talked about, and and I think what's really relevant is the transition to e-commerce and the space that that requires and the quality of real estate that requires, coupled with the desire to to carry more inventories as supply chains 
tune for resiliency versus efficiency will generate meaningful demand and uh, define you know the next cycle and potentially cycles. Uh, so I think there's some real upside there. And for um, you know these these insights and reports that that you that you're putting out is just the best way for people to just go to the website. That's where I was looking at them. Or do you have other ways that you're pushing this out for people if they want to? See more yeah, we definitely want to make doing. sure people can get our views. You're right. I think the best way to consistently get it is at Prologis.com in the, in the research section there. Uh, but also we're active uh, along all the vectors of social media, whether it's Twitter, whether it's LinkedIn. Cool. Well, I want to thank you very much for, you know, diving in. I think we covered a, a ton of ground. Um, you know, it's been very, you know, from my perspective, from the perspective of trying to cover commercial real estate, there's just so much to try to get our heads around. And I've been very eager to kind of get some of these insights on what's happening on, on logistics and in the industrial sector. So I, I very much appreciate you uh, taking the time. My pleasure. It's great to be here. Thank you very much. David and Chris, this was fantastic. Chris, uh, obviously, now I know why David brought you on. Uh, <laughs> you were spot I me mean, just rapid fire, just given so much information. That was a lot of meat for people uh, to digest. And I, I thank you for giving your website out. Can you do that one more time for me? Give the website out one more time for people to go to? Yeah, sure. You can head to Prologis.com, the research section. We've got all our research reports there. Perfect. David, thank you so much for bringing them on. Any closing thoughts for you today? No, just uh, help people are being careful about reopening and staying safe. And, you know, we all want to get back out there, it seems like. And, and thank you for listening. Absolutely. And again, thank you, audience. Thank you for tuning in to the Common Area Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at NREI, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of NREI or Informa. The content has been made available for information and educational purposes only.